Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It is Locked On NBA. Time to get you ready for the playoffs with Eastern Conference. Look with two of the best Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On Heat's Wes Goldberg and Locked On Knicks. Jared Dubin, join me to break down the four Eastern Conference series, well, three and the Cleveland Cavaliers, and we get it rolling on an Eastern Conference look at the playoffs on Locked On NBA. Hi, I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, host of Locked On NBA, founder of the Locked On Podcast Network. Have you found your local NBA team podcast, daily podcast, absolutely uh Fabulous work being put out. Our guys that are in the playoffs are really, really busy. Wes Goldberg and Jared Dubin do super work for various outlets, and we're fortunate to have them on the Lockdown Podcast Network, and I thought we'd bring them on and preview the Eastern Conference. Later today, I'll post a Western Conference uh, with Adam Mars and Jake Madison, two of our great Western Conference guys, to do the same thing. Uh, so that's the plan today on the show. Uh, should be a lot of fun. I look forward to having it. Wes writes for the stepback.com, fan rag sports, and hosts Locked On uh, Heat with David Ramil, who they do super work. Jared Dubin hosts Locked On Knicks. He has great, great guests all the time. Uh, he writes for vice.com, stepback.com, and CBS as well, and does super work. So they're going to break down the four series for us, and it uh, should be a lot of fun. Today's show, as always, is brought to you by SeatGeek. We thank SeatGeek for their huge support of the Lockdown Podcast Network and of this podcast, and I hope you support SeatGeek as well. SeatGeek is an app for your phone that gives you all of the best options on ticket buying in one spot and makes it really using modern technology to make it a million times easier. So here's the concept. One, you download the SeatGeek app. First thing you should do, go over to the settings tab and enter in the promo code LOCKED. Once you've done that, you'll get a $20 rebate after your first purchase. Then find the event you want to go to. Is it an NBA playoff game? Is it a show? And they compile all of the tickets from all the area in one spot for you on your phone, and then they give every ticket a rating. And that's their proprietary element, is they have a rating, a seat rating for every seat there in the building and tells you what the best prices are and what the best deals are. And finally, it's secured and guaranteed on your phone, so it's worry-free. It's modern technology, making it easy. It's all by SeatGeek. Download the app now and put in the promo code LOCKED. SeatGeek, download promo code LOCKED. All right, let's get an Eastern Conference preview with our two guys. So we look at the East with Jared Dubin locked on Knicks. Also, as we mentioned earlier, you can catch Jared Vice, stepback.com and CBS, and Wes Goldberg of Locked on Heats, stepback.com, FanRag Sports. Uh, two of our better guys in the Locked on Podcast Network who are just not in the playoffs. Sorry, guys. I mean, I, really, it's probably like it's... It's probably, you know, it's not really your fault your team didn't make it. You can only be as good as you could. And for for all of your dismay, Wes, you got quite a good season out of the Heat. Well, I mean, I don't think Jared had high hopes, but I think the Heat, um, after going 11-30, and 30, we didn't have high hopes either. But then, you know, you 
you get that second half of the season, you fall a game short of making the playoffs. It would have been fun. It would have been fun. But I also like being able to sit back and just watch the entire NBA playoffs too. Yeah, and um, the Knicks were not great, but at least it was an eventful season. You know, if you're not going to have a good season, you might as well have a whole bunch of stuff go down. They're, and, they're, uh, the Knicks definitely had a bunch of stuff go down. There is simply nothing m- more eventful than the Knicks. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's talk East. Last night was all West, uh, and so tonight we have uh, two big Game Fives that are taking place, uh, Chicago and Boston, and Rondo may play... Uh, what's what's the feeling on this series of how much the first two games that Chicago stole from Boston can ever be replicated again, Wes? Well, you know, Boston made those adjustments to go small, and I think that was the obvious play. They were getting beat on the boards, and when they went small, they tried their best to take rebounding out of the game well, as much as they could. It's just so funny that Chicago, they had so much success based around Robin Lopez and Rajon Rondo. It's like, who knew that those would be the guys that would make the difference for them in the series? Rondo goes down. He might be back later in the series. But um, look, if Chicago's hoping that Rondo's going to save their playoffs hopes, does it really matter if they win this series? Because I don't see them going very far that way. In Boston, they look like they have a lot of real issues you know these are issues that a lot of people wondered about going into the playoffs can they rebound can they play defense can is is depth that much of an advantage when the playoffs come around and all your benches are shortened so i i don't know that this was necessarily i think the first two games were surprising just in the way and the manner of which the bulls beat the celtics but these are all the issues that we thought would be there in the first place yeah, I think that, you know, to go back to the question of whether or not it's replicable, I think that, you know, beating the Celtics by hammering the offensive boards and forcing someone other than Isaiah to score is definitely replicable. But I don't think that the Bulls are the team that's going to do it just because they don't seem to be able to score enough themselves without Rondo out there. And that, you know, like you said, is a bit of an upset. But in terms of beating the Celtics in that way, like, that's the way that a team is going to beat the Celtics. Like, that's the way that a team, you know, beat the Hawks the last few years with the Al Horford at center was to hammer them on the glass. And the way the teams have beat the Celtics the last couple of years is by forcing someone other than Isaiah to do something offensively. You know, you combine those two issues, that's what Chicago did to them in games one and two. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to extricate their lineup change with Gerald Green coming into the starting lineup from Rajan Rondo going down because they happened at the exact same time. So it's hard to say whether the lineup change was a solution or just something that happened to coincide with Chicago really not being able to get anything going offensively either. This is so simplistic, but I have a hard time believing that the wild card of Gerald Green is a sustainable answer. Yeah. It's, it's also... You know, series are completely different organisms. Like, just because Gerald Green, quote unquote, worked in this series, doesn't mean that it works against Washington in the, uh, or Atlanta in the next series. So, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about next. You know, s- same thing with you know, and we'll get to the Raptors also. But moving Norm Powell into the starting lineup doesn't necessarily work against Cleveland, who's going to be a bigger team. You know, so it's each each series is different, and an answer that works now you might have to abandon again later just because, you know, you have to adjust very quickly. So I, I, I think I agree with you on that not being a sustainable answer with, with Gerald Green. I, I, we saw, I saw Chicago uh, – Chicago actually, when 
you know, I always am impacted by the, the games I call in which teams involve. Chicago manhandled us both times. You know, Chicago really just for whatever reason was a, was a matchup to the Jazz that the Jazz could not handle. Uh, is there anything in this matchup that makes you feel like Chicago has that same thing going on with Boston, Wes? Absolutely. If they can figure out a way to grab enough offensive rebounds, in, in, in just like they did in the first two games, and just make sure that the Celtics, well, number one, they have to play good defense on the perimeter. And if you can funnel everybody into the, in, into the paint, then that is where things can get muddy. That's where the Bulls can control the tempo. We saw in the two Celtics wins that the Celtics, by going small, they were able to control the tempo. But you're right. Gerald Green is the answer on the wing. Like, what if Green doesn't ha- it has a Gerald Green game where, you know, he can have his ups, but he also has his downs, and his downs are through the floor. So if if the Bulls can just get that tempo, and I'm sure that's what happened again in the games that you were calling, where they controlled the tempo, slowed it down, just made it an ugly 80s-style basketball game, absolutely. And really what it comes down to, and maybe this is simplistic, but are the Celtics making three-pointers? Because when they they – thrive on making threes and if they're not making them then all of a sudden they have to try to get to the rim and if they're trying to get to the rim that's when the bulls have the advantage and word is out that ronda will not play game five so that that has come across i don't know if i missed it first thing this morning uh but it is now out uh does this change anyone's viewpoint on how good the celtics are that's a good question you know i I didn't know that i necessarily thought of them as a traditional one seed you know i still even viewed Cleveland basically as the one seed in the East, just operating from the two slot. Like they were still the heavy favorite to me. And and I think that Boston is still to me in that next tier with Toronto and Washington in terms of, you know, challengers to Cleveland that until I see them do it, don't seem like all that serious of challengers. Um, You know, them struggling with a team that, like I said, hammered the offensive boards and forced someone to uh, other than Isaiah to score is not surprising. I just didn't think the Bulls were going to be the team to do that, and I don't know if they can do that over the, the next couple of games in the series either. So a long-winded way of saying I don't think it really changes my opinion of them that much because my opinion was basically that they were a second-tier contender that didn't have that great of a chance of knocking off Cleveland anyway. Let's go Let's go to – sorry, Wes, did you have something you wanted to jump in there? Sure. It, it changed my opinion just a little bit just in the way that – you know, they struggle against Chicago because Chicago has the best player. And when Rondo was playing, he was playing like the second best player in the series. When you have an all-star like that, it changes the entire outlook of a, se- of a playoff series. And, and the Boston has, I agree with Jared, they, they are a second-tier team in the East. And I don't think anybody doubts that in the first place. But they have a serious issue when it comes to just not having a player that can just dominate a series on both ends of the court like Jimmy Butler can, like a LeBron James. I mean, you look at the Portland-Golden State series, the Portland's backcourt, C.J. McCollum, Damian Lillard, those are the two best players, and they played as well as they could have, and they still got blown out every time. They have serious flaws. I think Boston has serious flaws when it comes to the playoffs. Yeah, you can win 50-plus games in the regular season, whoop de doo but can you do anything in the playoffs? These are serious issues that they have to deal with. Before we dig into Washington and Atlanta, let's go to Cleveland for a second. They've already swept their series and they've advanced. Uh, the good news is they continue to be completely unguardable. Their offensive rating was 116 in the series, which is really kind of stupid. Um, their effective field goal percentage was 57% in the series. Their true shooting percentage was 60% in the series. I mean, just crazy, crazy numbers. Uh, I, there's an assistant on Indiana that's known as a defensive genius. I'm, I 
and that's why like is there. I, I didn't see it all year long with Indiana. Uh, the concerning thing is that Indiana, who's a distinctly average offensive team, I, I think if I remember correctly, uh, and I'm not, I don't have it in front of me, but they were sick. I think they were 16th in the league offensively. So that's the comment. Distinctly average. They actually are average, uh, and. Uh, they ended up scoring 111 points per 100 possessions, which would be, you know, right off about number two or three offensively. It means Cavaliers' defense in that time period was only a notch better than what the Lakers was all season long. Uh, do we have any concern on that, or is it just that it was better than what the opponent was every night, and that's all that matters? I would say I'm still concerned about the defense. I know we've seen them turn it up uh, in the playoffs before. But and, and Chris Herring did a really good story on this at 538 where, you know, in previous years when they turned their defense up in the playoffs, they also did that in the second half of the regular season. And this year the defense got much worse in the second half of the regular season. So, you know, it's 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 less concerning with them, I think, because we've seen that they can do it, but we also need to see them do it. You know, so it's 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 tough to balance how concerned I am because I know in the back of my mind that they've done it before, but it was in different circumstances that they did it before, and these circumstances are much different than that. I mean, this team is one that really prioritizes three-point shooting, but they don't prioritize the defensive end when it came to their personnel moves. I mean, you lose somebody like Matthew Delvadova, who hasn't had a great season for Milwaukee, but he's at least you know a, a rough and tough defender. He tries really hard on that end. And you have guys that you bring in like Kyle Korver, who is a fantastic three-point shooter, no doubt, but he doesn't play great defense. And then you have Channing Frye, Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving, just subpar defenders, even though I think Kevin Love's one-on-one defense has been pretty good recently. but And then you have LeBron James, of course, who's a good defender, but he's shouldering so much of the load offensively. Look, he had a great series, 32 points, 25 points, 41 points, 33 points, almost triple doubles in every game, but... He's been asked to do so much, and when we talk about that switch that they needed to flip, especially defensively, I just don't I don't think it exists. I don't know. I, they're still the best team in the East. I still think they're and they end up in the finals, but there is no switch. And of course, they they swept the Pacers, and maybe people out from the outside think, oh wow, they they've got this together. They just they blew through the Pacers, no problem. But that was all LeBron James. There is no switch. There is only LeBron, and LeBron is just so much better than anybody on the Indiana and Indiana is just really not a very good team, that of course they swept them. You know, the thing on LeBron, and he may prove this wrong, is I, I did a bunch of research many years ago about fatigue, and players traditionally fade at 35,000 regular season minutes, and then there's, there's a pretty strong argument that there's never been a primary guy over 40,000 minutes that's carried his team to a championship. And he crossed over that this year. It's he's unbelievable. He's the best we've the, the the argument that he's the best that there's ever been is gaining more traction every day. Uh but it does make me the the burden being asked and you see these defensive numbers I I I wonder if that's, you know, is that the sign of it because to your point Wes, there's no way you can see from the day-to-day numbers that there's any dropping that's taking place. I I worked for a long time with a coach named Tom Nasalki who worked who won both the ABA and the NBA coach of the year and he used to say to me about aging, it's hard to see 
Because the guys come into the league and they can give you 80 of 82 nights. And then that number just starts to fade. But the, when they're old, they can still give you f- 50 nights a year of expert, unbelievable performance, elite-level performance. It's just the 30, other 32 they can't quite. And, and that's what changes. And so I don't know if that's what's going on with LeBron maybe in Cleveland's defense. Maybe Cleveland's defense was more predicated on LeBron than we thought. I think he's just, you know, in terms of him not really dropping off in the minutes load and everything, I think he's just the exception to every rule. Like, you know, look at this guy. He never gets hurt. Like, he hasn't had a long-term injury ever. There seems to be no drop-off in his play whatsoever, other than the fact that, you know, like you mentioned, he takes the defensive side of the ball off uh, off a bunch of time because he just has to carry so much offensive responsibility for them. And I think that certainly him taking that side off has affected their defense, but it's also been, you know, slips from other guys. You know, they were without J.R. Smith a lot of the year, and when he did play, his defense wasn't as good. Um, you know, Iman Schumberg's defense hasn't been as good. You know, they had a couple of, you know, Delavadova left. They don't have Mozgov to turn to if they want to mm-hmm. stick somebody big in the middle of the court anymore. You know, they tried to replicate that with Bogut, but then he went down. You know, so it's, I, I think it's, largely LeBron just because he's such a force that changes everything else on the court no matter what side of the ball it is but it's also you know little dips everywhere else that when accumulated magnify the problem a little bit more I think having that concern over the defense too is just I don't know man it's just funny because this is just look at the players on this team like when were they good defensive players J.R. Smith was a fine defensive player last year he was a good defensive player last year but that was probably his best defensive season of his career is he going to replicate that um, you just have a bunch of offensive-minded players, and that's fine, and it's going to get them to the East most most likely. But rather than freaking out about why this defense isn't good, just I, I think you know maybe it's better to just accept that this is an offensive-driven team, and they might be breaking the mold in the NBA where an offensive-driven team can win a championship. We know that defensive teams win championships in the past, right? I, I think there's one team outside of the top. 10 in defensive rating in the last several 20 years or something like that that won a championship maybe cleveland could be the difference in the, the the exception to that rule especially the way that the nba is trending towards higher scoring and bigger offenses but there, it's it's just their personnel is not good defensively and if it, if tyloo said that he's got some secret scheme or something i don't know if that's adding a sixth player to the floor hmm. but Short of that, this is just not a good defensive team because of the personnel. Let's go. Are we willing to accept, by the way, that that maybe with the league trending smaller and quicker, that defense isn't quite as important ding, ding, now ding, ding, as ding, it was ding. even like five years ago? Like, yeah, I think that you know, you look at all of the top teams in the East; none of them had good defenses for like more mm-hmm. than half of the year. I think that with having three-point shooting being so important there's such a bigger variance in three-point shooting it's almost a, a it's kind of a fake sign like a red herring of good defense if somebody's not hitting their three-point shots one night if one team just hits 20 percent of their three-pointers because they're taking so many more of them they're not scoring as much and that's like a red herring of good defense it's just like no that's the variance that's your bad night of three-point shooting that you're going to have in the in a, in a course of a season i think the myth the defense wins is over Here, well, let's walk through it for a second okay 2015-16, the best offense was the Warriors. Second best was the Thunder. Who were, the Spurs were the third. The Cavaliers were the fourth. The Raptors were the fifth. Right, like those were the five best teams in the league. 
There's no question. Mm-hmm. 2014 yep. 15. The Clippers were number one. The Warriors were number two. The Raptors were number three. And the uh, Cavaliers were number four. Okay? Uh, you know, the Clippers were the outlier there, but if they hadn't had a playoff collapse, they're probably there. 2013 14, Miami's the number two. Uh, offense in the league, you, know, you start. The Spurs were the number six offense in the league, and their numbers are always sometimes a little lower than what you'd expect. So you, as you just kind of walk it back, you can see this in 2012-13. Miami was the number one offense in the league. Uh, offenses win. Offense wins in the NBA. We actually have seen it in the playoffs this year that most of these games have been particularly offensive minded. And we, the Jazz Clippers, played a series which is was. With DeAndre Jordan and Rudy Gobert until last night was first time was defensive series. That thirteen fourteen Heat team too reminds me so much of this Cavaliers team just because that offense was still good as 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 it was throughout the whole Big Three era because it just couldn't not be good. But there were noticeable lapses in defense throughout the regular season and in the playoffs, and they got swept in the finals. and And when that happens, you just it was it was so clear that there was something wrong. And and that kind of looks like what this Cavaliers team is. I think it's also like, you know, in terms of league-wide, like this was the best offensive season in years this year. Mm-hmm. And the, the way the league sort of works is that, you know, coaches come up with new offenses that are almost impossible to stop, and then defenses adjust. You know, we saw it in the 90s where everybody was just isolating their best player. And then, you know, the, the, the Riley, Van Gundy, Thibodeau, Knicks came up with that, you know, strong side overload system once you were able to play zone defense and then that sort of spread throughout the league now we're seeing all of these spread offenses that sort of negate that with you know side to side ball movement that make teams move too much and you don't even know which side is the strong side because the ball is moving so quickly and then you can wind up with better numbers on one side of the floor just because the ball always moves faster than players do and you know defenses are going to have to adjust to that and I think that maybe in a few years we'll see the scoring come back down a little bit unless, you know, the, this, I mean, I, I don't think we're ever going to see a point where offenses are actually impossible to stop and scoring just keeps going up and up and up and up and up. But, you know, it, it is cyclical because defenses lag a little bit further behind because the offensive innovations come, they're tough to stop, and, you know, it takes time to figure out what to do to stop them. And this is, by the way, why the Warriors are so special, because, of course, all their attention is on the offensive side of the ball, but they're just as good defensively. And so when we we talk about the top teams in the league, like the Cavs and the Raptors and all these teams, they don't play great defense the way that the Warriors do, and that's why that team is so special. All right, let's go to the Washington-Atlanta series, which I'm just not sure I've gotten a grasp on who Atlanta is all season long, so I'm not sure I understand (laughs) this series. Really, when it gets right down to it, that... Washington wins those first two games, and then Washington takes – it's almost as a Washington took two games off. I, I, I feel when I watch this that Washington's still in complete control, but on the other end, they just stopped defending. Atlanta scored 116 points and uh, 111 points in the last two games. Washington is though they just – they went on sabbatical. It, it does seem like that, right? Like they won the first two games. Everybody was talking, and then – they won the first two games the same time that the, the the Celtics lost their first two games in that Bulls series. So, of course, the media comes out and everybody's, oh, well, the Wizards are the second best team in the East. It will be the Wizards against the Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference Finals. And maybe Washington, having not had this sort of, quote-unquote, success, I mean, it was only two games, but success in the playoffs, 
and just kind of now being the darling and, and just kind of propped up as the second best team in the East, did that get to their heads a little bit? Because I'm I'm with you, David. I don't know. It, it just kind of seems weird. Like they just they fell off a cliff all of a sudden. It's not they didn't have any major injuries. Nothing crazy happened here. Uh, maybe it just got to their head. That's the only theory I can come up with. To me, I think it's more simple. Um, it, it, it boils down to two things. Uh, Atlanta is the weirdest team in the league, like you mentioned. <laughs> they make no sense at all on any level. And Washington is a completely different team at home than on the road. They were 30-11 and 11 at home this year, 19-22 and 22 on the road. Their defense, like you mentioned, was much better when they played at home, and it was much worse on the road. And I think that's what happened. They won those two games at home, and they looked great on both sides of the ball. And then they went to Atlanta, and they couldn't defend. And the Hawks make no sense, so they took advantage of it. Yeah, I'm really, it's that's you're, you're right on it. I mean, I, I think that actually may answer. The other one, I think, is that Dwight Howard's still really good. Yeah, and he looked terrible yeah. in the first two games. He got played off the court in game two because he couldn't keep up with John Wall and pick and rolls. I mean, he might be a home a hometown player now where the same sort of thing that Jared was talking about, he's, he's getting up there in age, you know, he's he might be a guy that just plays better at home. And maybe that's the situation there. Plus, Paul Millsap was angry. That always helps. It does. It's interesting. Do we think that Washington solved their bench issues with Jennings and Bogdanovich? And the, like, th- this was a starting five that I don't have it in front of me. I believe they played 600 more minutes than any other five-man unit in the NBA this year. It's, like, it's, a, it's a stunning uh, number. I'll pull it up and make sure I'm accurate. Do we believe that Washington improved their bench? And, and they did in the regular season. I know that. But those are totally different minutes. Is, are, these, are these guys helping them in playoff minutes? I think Bonjanovic is, but I don't think that the answer to any question is Brandon Jennings. So did they improve their bench? Probably. But did they solve the issue? No. Does that make sense? I mean, they still I rolled up. Jennings was an upgrade over what they had at backup point guard before. Exactly. You know, they were they were getting zero out of those minutes earlier in the season with with Trey Burke and you know, uh, Sadoransky gave the occasional good stretch, but I don't think was really ready to be a you know a high level backup point guard on a playoff team yet. You know, to me, the the most important bench players for them have been Ubre and Jason Smith. Uh, you know, Ubre is a very flexible defender who has worked well in, you know, the all bench lineups and with the hybrid lineups, you know, and Bogdanovich, if he's not making shots, he's not super useful to them. And, you know, you, you need him to knock down those looks. He, it's, it's weird though, because he didn't do it in the first two games. He's actually, he, he actually, I think if I'm remembering the series correctly, he scored more in Atlanta than he did, in Washington, but in, in neither of those situations did he actually shoot particularly well, and, and they need that off the bench because the you know otherwise like Jennings and Jason Smith are their bench offense, and that's not a good situation to be in. Can I, I think Bonjanovic's presence in those first two games helped space the floor a little bit for Wall? But you're right; like he needs to be knocking down shots, and that's the problem. They just don't have a lot of depth, and the depth that they do have kind of have to perform well. Am I really supposed to believe that Jose Calderon was like plus 87 in a game? <laughs> Am I supposed to believe that's sustainable? Maybe. All the former Knicks are dominating this series, by the way. <laughs> Here's the thing on this series for Washington, and, and this just numerically. 
So when they their starting lineup, as I, as I mentioned earlier, played thirteen hundred and forty seven minutes this year. The next closest was eight hundred and eighty. I mean, it, it's incredible. They played they played five hundred more minutes than any other lineup in the NBA, and only f- uh, five lineups in the or six lineups in the five. No, that's right. Five. Let's try this again, David. They played oh, almost five hundred more minutes than anyone else in the NBA, and only five other lineups played over five hundred over 600 minutes together, right? Like, I mean, and only eight other played over 500 minutes together. I mean, it's just, an, it's a stunning thing f- of what they were able to do health-wise, frankly. And it's the same thing here. In this series, their starting lineup is plus eight per 100 possessions. And then it's just an unmitigated mess afterwards. Uh, and maybe that's where we're talking, maybe that's where we're getting to the bench stuff is that, or the road home stuff, because benches don't, it, bad benches play badly on the road. Um, the other one, though, is I just can't believe that the that the Hawks can win this series when their starting lineup is minus thirteen per hundred possessions, and their offense is getting their offensive rating is a ninety seven out of their starters right now. Yeah, with with Washington, I don't think they can come out in the beginning of the second quarter and fourth quarter with those Wall and Beal list lineups anymore. I, I feel like you know Scott Brooks did a wonderful job throughout the regular season. He has to have learned from Oklahoma City at this point that in the playoffs you can't have your two best players on the bench at the start of the second and fourth quarters. You can't do it. Uh, like To me, that's just got to stop. Yeah, and you know, people talk about the playoffs and how your bench becomes less important and the starters are really important. That's absolutely true, but it is funny. Everything that we've been talking about, a lot, well, a lot of the, what we've been talking about has been bench units making a difference like for Atlanta the bench makes a difference for Washington the bench makes a difference in the in a bad way and these and guys for the Celtics are coming off the bench and starting and making a difference like these bench units have been really important in this first round I agree 100% with Jared I mean Scott Brooks was notorious for put for Westbrook and Durantless lineups in Oklahoma City isn't that's the point of having multiple stars on a team is that you could just stagger their minutes and make sure one is always on the court Washington has to make sure that they have at least Wall or Beal on the court at all times. And finally, Game 6 of Toronto and Milwaukee will take place tomorrow. Toronto has now gained a 3-2 advantage in this series. This one's pretty fascinating to me because it just is the same Toronto script. It also, to your point, I think it was Wes who said it earlier that we anointed Washington. Everyone anointed Milwaukee there for a while. And, mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden Milwaukee can't score. What's our feeling on, on this series, and does it make it all the way to seven so that Toronto can just have another incredibly nerve-wracking first-round game seven, just that they make everyone <laughs> feel comfortable? Um, so to me, it's two things. One is that the Milwaukee defense is is so smothering, but it's so aggressive that it does spring holes for really good and high-quality shots when you're able to figure out how you should run your offense against it. And I think over the last two games, you know, in, in game four, I don't think they figured it out until late in the game, even if they, you know, they did wind up with the win. But in game five, I think they showed that they figured out how they should be running their offense against this Milwaukee defense. And they're not a team that can find some other way to play defense. They dial it all the way up all the time and there, there's no real adjustment they can make after you quote unquote figure out their defense so that, that's I think something that's happened in the last couple of games or you know the last like game and a third or game and a half and then to me the best coaching move of the playoffs so far was bringing 
Norman Powell in for Jonas in the starting lineup because it's helped the starting lineup and it's helped Jonas. You know, Powell has been incredible in the last couple of games. He was the best player on the floor for stretches of game five. And then Jonas has been much better coming off the bench offensively, which is really where they need him. And since he wasn't going to be a huge part of the starting lineup offense anyway with the way they need to play against Milwaukee's defense, I think that that move, you know, even if it didn't seem like it was coming uh, in games one to three, because I think Powell played five minutes in game one, didn't play in game two, and then only played in garbage time of game three, that move to me has sort of swung these last two games because it helped them, uh, you know, both with the starters and off the bench, and it helped Jonas find the, the way he should be playing within the series. And and benching Jonas in favor of Powell was a good move because the other option was uh, benching Ibaka and start and keeping that traditional so to speak center in the middle. So it was a really good move by Dwayne Casey to go with Jonas coming off the bench because he can just kind of eat up those second those second units for for Milwaukee. They don't have like a regular center that they can go to. I mean, Greg Monroe is, I guess, a traditional big, but defensively he he lacks. You know, he he leaves you wanting more on that end. So I 100% agree with Jared. It's just what what adjustments can you make? I mean, Milwaukee is so so long that it just it might just be playing tighter defense and just trying to get even more steals and lead to more fast break points. And that's you know the that's really the only thing that they can hope for at this point is just playing the way they play, just but playing better. And then and of course you know Giannis could be the best player on the floor in any given game. Can he do that for the next two or three games? And if that's the case, then they'll have a chance. But I don't see what adjustments that they can make. Milwaukee was has a flaw defensively. They allowed, in the regular season, 10% of all opponent's shots to be corner threes. It's an incredible hmm. number. In the- that's what I meant by, you know, their defense is so aggressive that when you figure out how to run your offense against it, they yield high-value shots. Because yeah. I think they let up a bunch of shots at the rim as well. They do. They do. So in this- yeah, that, that helps Lowry and DeRozan a ton. In this series, the Raptors are now 12 of 26 on the left corner three and 7 of 19 on the right corner three. I mean, they're suddenly, you know, through four games, they have... 45, or if I it's five games now, 45 corner three attempts. That's a ton. That's nine a game. You look at a team like Utah, who you know very well, obviously. I mean, you have somebody like Gobert in the middle. Your perimeter defenders can basically just run dudes off the three-point line no matter where they are because they know they have a, a guy that can just defend the rim at an elite level and Gobert. Milwaukee doesn't have that, so they have to do that. And that's they Milwaukee has every defensively, offensively, they have all the makings of a team that can be really good, and they have the, the whole own the future slogan, and that makes sense in a way that we think this is where the NBA is going, right? It's just a bunch of Giannis Antetokounmpo's on the floor, just five really long guys that can play like guards and are as big as big men. Maybe that's true, maybe it's not, I don't know, but they're really kind of tilting into that direction, and that's the problem because you don't have your your perimeter defenders don't have that relief of just a, a bona fide rim protector. So everybody's got to be on a string at the same time, moving at the same rate. And when you're young and you're not a veteran team that has been playing together for a long time, but you're a young team that's adding new pieces every season and and you're trying to develop into something, 
you're going to have those issues. But if, they, if, if Milwaukee keeps this team together for two or three years, they'll eventually get better on defense because they all have to be kind of on the same wavelength, and they're just not. It's, just, it's hard to be at that point when you're this young of a team. Yeah, by the way, they have the second-best defense in the playoffs so far. So, you know, I, th- I think it's worked to a certain extent. Uh, but like I said, once you figure it out, you sort of figure it out. You know, they were an average defensive team, uh, you know, during the regular season. There were, like, five teams tied for, you know, whatever it was, like 15th and 19th. I remember looking at that before the playoffs, and they were, they were one of them. And, you know, I think, like you said, it's difficult for everybody to be so much on a string when you're such a young team and not having, you know, a true solid rim protect like if they had rudy gobert working in the system they would be the best defense in the league i think mm-hmm. you know but yep. thon maker is not rudy gobert you know yet maybe he develops into like no one's going to be gobert because he's like the best rim protector i've seen maybe like ever but <laughs> if he develops into like a 70 percent approximation that really raises the ceiling for their defense just because they have somebody who is you know in the right spot all the time behind all that scramble and i think if they get that that would allow them to dial back the scrambling a bit as well because they'll be more confident that they can cover at the rim to to prevent any sort of leaks that they spring right now they're so aggressive because they have no way of covering really if you know people break past that first line of defense because they're so young and they don't know where they're going yet and you see it sometimes with thon where like he doesn't realize he should be in the right spot, and then he like almost gets there anyway. Or like Kyle Lowry beats a guy off the dribble, and he's at the opposite elbow and comes back and blocks and pins his shot against the backboard. You know, the instincts are there. He just needs to have the, you know, the recognition to know where he's going before he needs to be there. And I think if he turns into that kind of player, their defense is going to get a lot better very quickly. I might be the somewhat negative Nelly here on. Um Ironically enough, they've won. So maybe I'm wrong on this one. I was going to say, on Milwaukee, I just feel like the 42% three-point shooting is such an outlier that they're being overvaluated on how good they are in the playoffs. But I mean, Giannis is just awesome, and I didn't think he was. Oh, yeah. You know, and he hadn't been a good playoff player yet, so that still needed to be shown to me. He's answered that question. There's no, there's nothing stopping him now. You can you can move him up into the elite category of all categories. Um, and maybe my three-point comment is not fair because um, in their opening game win, they were only nine of 23. But that you know, they it. They won game three. They were 12 of 23 from three. Like, Milwaukee's not going 12. That's not a script by which Milwaukee wins basketball games. Yeah, I'm more concerned about their offense than their defense. Right. You know, they need to figure out how to get more. Like, Tony Snell can't be your only shooter. Um, you know, Middleton, obviously, coming back from the injury, I think he'll be better next year. But they need to add, I think, more front court shooting that you can actually put on the floor uh, in the playoffs. Because I don't know how you get uh, Toledovic on the floor in the playoffs. He's just too slow to keep up defensively. Yeah, you, Toledovic was like a nice addition, but you almost need like a, an evolved form of Toledovic, you know? Like maybe that works in the regular season playoffs and stuff. Well, guys, great thoughts. Any Anybody believe any other than Cleveland is representing the East at this point? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, look, if Miami had made the eighth seed, and they should have because we only got three games against Chicago, so... And Chicago got two games on their home floor. Just saying, but if Miami was the AC, they'd be able, they'd they'd win the East, no problem. But other than that, I'm th- I'm joking. I mean, who, do you, who do you guys think is the be- the team with the best chance to beat Cleveland? To me, and and I know they've been struggling with with Milwaukee, but I think it's still the Raptors, just because they have so many more ways they can play 
than than the Celtics or or the Bulls or you know, the 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 Wizards or Hawks. You know, their their moves for Tucker and Ibaka at the deadline give them a whole lot of flexibility in terms of playing big or playing small, playing offense oriented or defense oriented. So they're still the most likely to me. I'm curious if you guys agree. I love Toronto going into the playoffs and actually, you know, didn't think Toronto would beat Cleveland, but thought of, didn't think it was an outlandish comment. So um, I, I love Toronto. I think that's actually where tomorrow night's game gets big. Uh, if they, though, I think that turnaround's on Sunday anyway, no matter what, but it's, is if they can avoid, you know, having to play one more game seven, if they can go straight from Milwaukee to Cleveland and get ready to go, I think that would make a, a big difference to them. I will say, as someone who's living the playoffs, uh, you wrapping up your first round playoff series early is one of the most underrated, untalked about things. Mm-hmm. In the Jazz Clippers series, and I believe the Toronto Milwaukee series is the same, because Cleveland has wrapped it up, right? Toronto plays Cleveland second round. And because they they want ABC for Cleveland, if they finish that game on is that a Thursday? I think I think I haven't seen this officially, but my understanding is that could be a sat that game one could be a Saturday midday game. Mm. Like your staff has Jesus. your staff has no time. If the Jazz win on Friday night to wrap up that series in six, I believe we play Sunday. We will play Sunday midday. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, that, that's an incredible, yeah. you know, and from the Jazz standpoint, where their greatest strength is Quinn Snyder, um, that's a pro. You know, that takes away a huge distance. Now, maybe Cleveland and Toronto have played so many darn times, it just doesn't matter, right? I mean, may, may, maybe it just <laughs> doesn't matter. I agree matter. with you, except that if any of these teams lose game one, if, you know, if, if the Cavs or Warriors somehow wind up losing game one, we're going to wind up hearing all of the, the rust versus rest talk. Well, either way, we're going to hear it because it's either going to be, oh, they were so rested and that's why they won, or oh, they were so rusty and that's why they lost. It's all ex post facto reasoning no matter what. Right. It's a good point. Well, guys, really enjoyed the conversation. Maybe we'll do it a little bit later in the playoffs. Enjoy your offseason with Locked On Heat and Locked On Knicks. This has been Locked On NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thanks a ton to Wes and Jared. You can catch their shows, Locked On Heat. And Locked On Knicks, they do great NBA talk. They're all across the Locked On Podcast Network. So please subscribe and join those. SeatGeek was our sponsor today. Thank them very much for their continued support of the program. And make sure you uh, download the app and get the promo code LOCKED. We look forward <coughs> to your supporting our sponsors. So thank you very much. Our other sponsors, WarbyParker.com slash LOCKED, have always been available. Dell's got the the 40% off on all printers going on, Dell.com slash NBA. So thank them very, very much. And Blue Apron, we're a Blue Apron family now and loving it. Uh, the promo code is L-O-C-K-N-B-A, L-O-C-K-N-B-A for three free meals. This has been a look at the Eastern Conference posting later today, Western Conference with Adam Mars and Jake Madison. So make sure you get that as well. This is Locked on NBA, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Support for this podcast comes from NetSuite. NetSuite lets you see what's going on with your business in real time, from accounting to order management and much more. You've outgrown your business management software. Let NetSuite help. Go to netsuite.com slash podcast to get your free guide and find out why NetSuite is a leading business management solution for growing companies. Get up and running fast with NetSuite.